Welcome to New Books in Israel Studies. I'm Yaakov Yadgar, the host of the channel, and today we're talking to Michal Kravel Tovi about her new book, When the State Winks, the Performance of Jewish Conversion in Israel. The book offers an intimate, insightful ethnography of the current field of Jewish conversion in Israel. It highlights the complex and often conflicted nature of an intimate, individual religious performance that is at once and the same time also one of the most pressing political issues in contemporary political, uh, Israeli sociopolitics, I'm sorry. Professor Kravel Tovi, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. Oh, so uh, it's a pleasure. Let us begin with the general context of your ethnographic work. Can you give uh, us, the listener, a general view of the field of Jewish conversion of Israel? Who are the players? What are the main uh, premises of the field? And why is it of, an important, of, uh, of such an importance in the first place? Do you mean the socio-historical context that embeds my study or the theoretical literature that... No, I guess the, yeah, I guess the historical and political context of, uh, of the field would be uh, of high relevance to our listeners. So you mentioned in your uh, introduction that this is a very uh, pressing political issue. It has always been so, but more symbolically than demographically or in concrete ways. It has always been you know, a symbolic issue because to become Jewish in the Jewish state means that someone has to regulate the boundaries. Someone, and this someone is usually a religious bureaucrat or a politician, and eventually the, the state needs to uh, regulate the boundaries. And it's really heavy issues, you know, um, entailed in this kind of decision. Who is a Jew? Who is entitled to be recognized by the state as a Jew? Who is uh, entitled to get married and uh, receive religious uh, services as as a Jew? And yet, it hasn't been uh, a pressing issue until the late 1980s, when an influx of immigrants, a third of which about are not recognized as Jews, according to the matrilineal uh, principle of Jewish religion, uh, they have not been uh, recognized as Jews, which means that they have entered Israel under the auspice of the law of return. They have become citizens, but they cannot be regarded as Jews by the state's own uh, establishment, religious uh, establishment, which means that they have become sort of uh, non-Jews Jews. They cannot get married with any fellow citizen, Israel, Jewish uh, citizen. They do serve in the army. They do, you know, take part in the economy. Uh, They do consider themselves patriots. Um, They do uh, participate in political games in the uh, political field, but many of whom are not uh, recognized as Jews. So this has become present because these people are coming here. Uh, they want to, you know, have families. Uh, they want to have. They want to have their own rights. They want to feel that Israel treats them as full citizens and not as second-class citizens. And they can get married with uh, fellow Jews, which means that inside Israel there is a new phenomenon, as some would see, uh, would see as a threat, of uh, intermarriage. 
right? It's within the community, within Israel, within the nation state. It's not a diasporic community. And yet this is regarded from religious point of view as intermarriage. Um, as this became real pressing issues for rabbis. Um, in 2003, Ariel Sharon decided to, uh, to make it into a national mission, which means a high priority uh, initiative that the state takes um, upon itself in terms of resources, manpower, agenda, of making as many converts as possible from within this kind of this cohort of uh, population, which in fact was more a priority to younger women. And it makes sense why, right? Like based on what I just said, that women uh, define the Jewish uh, identity of. Uh, so this is the, 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 the general context that brings into play some of the uh, contradictions at the macro social, macro social level that I'm working with. Yes, so uh, I think listeners or readers of your book who are not familiar with uh, the Israeli political culture might wonder uh, from the start, uh, what does religious conversion have to do with the supposedly secular field of politics of the state in the first place? Uh, just to take... Um, to take issue with what you presented uh, earlier, uh, there are there's a litany of civil uh, uh, issues with the immigrants from the former Soviet Union, which could be solved civilly or secularly, and not through the uh, religious apparatus, not through religious conversion. For example, the state might be forced to uh, to allow for a, a kind of civil marriages, so, so as to allow Jews to marry non-Jews. And as you said, it's a problem from the Orthodox point of view, but the mission has been described as a national mission. The government is playing a central role in it. Uh, this, can you maybe say a couple of words of this conflation of what in a Western uh, liberal democratic um, mindset would seem to be a confusion of the fields of um, the religious uh, private lives of individuals and the state's secular politics? Sure, sure. So Israel is, I think, unique, and yet it's not fully um, exceptional. For example, there are other states, uh, secular states, where religion and politics or religion and uh, national identity conflates in ways that bears on conversion, like India, of course, uh, Indonesia. Uh, I list several states in my work that they have similar contradictions or similar uh, conflations. Um, mm-hmm. religion is in most nation state is not only um, um, disaggregate or isolated category. It usually comes together with a sense of an ethnic or, or an ethno-national identity. So conversion in a way tries to either circumvent or to, um, to um, repair those lines that do not align, that do not go together. Because states do assume a sort of uh, cohorts of national identity and of religion go hand in, in hand. So conversion does play into these two, two fields of both religion and politics. And within the Israeli context, immigration, even of people who are not recognized as Jews, is, you know, is under the law of return, which is a very Zionist law. It's part of you know, the, the, the very basic foundation of what Israel stands for in terms of a particular uh, Jewish immigration uh, policy. Uh, it sees itself as an homeland for all kinds of Jews. 
Uh, many of the people who arrived here are part of intermarried families from the former Soviet um, Russian uh, Union. So it means that those people have some kind of biographical connection with Jews. Some of these people actually who came from uh, the former Soviet Union and have not been recognized as Jews in Israel suffered there as Jews because there the matrilineal uh, descend, uh, descendants is not overriding, but actually the patrilineal. So many of them have been regarded by others and by themselves as Jews. So they have suffered to some extent as Jews. So accepting them and making Israel a full home for them is part of a Zionist script. Um, so I think this is part of the more local context, besides the equivalence to, to other secular states who do handle in this way or in other the religious affiliation of its uh, citizens. Uh, more specific to your work uh, inside this field, um, I think there are four general themes, or at least in my reading, there were four general themes that uh, come to the fore in the book. The anthropology of the state, the biopolitics of conversion, the dramaturgical aspects of conversion, and lastly, as the title of the, uh, the very title of the book suggests, the concept of uh, winking or the way that winking plays into this whole field. So maybe we can just discuss each of these themes in detail. So let us, uh, let's start with, uh, with the first, the anthropology of the state. Can you explain what you mean by this idea, by this term? This is an emerging uh, subfield within uh, anthropology. It started to emerge in the 1990s. Um, it has become huge, like a huge subfield, really one of the buzzwords within uh, anthropology. It means that anthropologists claim the opportunity to study the state from below and from within, and with the, and with the help of uh, ethnographic uh, perspectives and tools, that anthropology, and, and not only sociology, and not only uh, political philosophy or, or political science, can claim to know how actors within the state and actors working in the name of the state and living under the regime of the state experience their, their daily life, their daily encounters as being part. Like when they try to make sense of their own life and of their identities, the state is always there. The state is above. The, the, mm -hmm. They meet the, the, the state when they go to any a bureaucratic office. They meet the state in most uh, rituals, public rituals. The state is over there. And if we attend to this kind of omnipotent presence of the states, of the state with uh, ethnographic tools, the assumption is that we can gain a very profound, deep look into how the state is enacted, experienced, and reproduced, actually, in everyday life. And this is what I was trying mm -hmm. to do. I didn't plan to do ethnographic study of the state. I just wanted to study conversion. And I even had, uh, in, in my mind, thought about education and the essentialist vision of what Jewish identity is all about, but the state was just there <laughs> and I couldn't ignore it. Yes. It was there when converts um, were speaking in fear about the bureaucrats in the rabbinical establishment that they need to meet. The state was there when I met converts who went to an exceptional committee because they were not citizens and they asked to undergo conversion when they were in fact tourists or they held like temporary resident visa. So the state was there, part of their 
everyday negotiation of what does it mean to convert. The state was there for them when they, for example, uh, did, not, did not think of themselves as Jewish subjects or as, as religious Jews or as potentially religious Jews. They didn't want to become religion. But they didn't want, but they did want the state to acknowledge their belonging within the state. They didn't want, they did want to, to show the state its, its care and love and uh, participation. So the state was just there. So this is a wonderful explication of how uh, the most uh, private, the most individual, really, in, in terms of uh, the conversion process, the very, yeah, the very body becomes uh, political uh, in the highest level, the, the level of the state. Um, I think this touches uh, upon the second theme, which is probably the most pressing aspect of your subject matter, which is captured under the term biopolitics. Can you first explain to the uninitiated listener what the term, uh, how the term usually is used, and then uh, discuss maybe how it plays into religious conversion in Israel? The term uh, has proliferated uh, for about, I think, two, three decades, mainly following uh, Michel, Boud- uh, Michel, Boudier, uh, Michel Foucault. Uh, Michel Foucault. Uh, and what he meant by, bio- by biopolitics is not necessarily what I or others have meant. So I will explain some of what I take out of this concept and how I use it. Um, biopolitics means that the the most biopolitical and personal issues of life course, of biopolitical functions of individuals, is politically useful for any kind of uh, political authority. It can be the state, but not necessarily. And any kind of political form know how to use those seemingly private areas of uh, like personal domains in one's life in order to make the... Um, the, the bigger a uh, political uh, domain working better. Like for example, uh, fertility is a domain where many walked, many have walked with the concept of biopolitics in mind, where the states, for example, can endorse a population policy, pro-natalist or against natalist, with the image of how many people they want the state to have. So bigger, broader demographic uh, goals actually underwrite how people have to live their lives and plan their own life. And I use it sort of counterintuitively because I don't talk about only the body. I'm talking about religious conversion, which is a mental process. It's a political process. Uh, I think that it does differ from fertility. At the same time, I'm talking about how state agents, both Zionist, secular, and religious, find the convert as a useful body uh, for the state's goals. So making home, uh, making as many converts as possible is better for the state politically, demographically, socially, family-wise. So uh, they apply all this, apply the power of the state and in the name of the state in order to make as many Jews as possible. And this is why they apply it mostly to younger women, because they want these women women to become Jewish mothers and to be able to join the country and and produce and reproduce for the country demographically. So there is something very useful politically about conversion. 
And I think it is the most pressing, as you, as you just said, or maybe controversial, because um, religious figures tend to present religious conversion as something that works for the individual, for his or her own stake. It's a very individual process. She has to undergo to undergo a personal uh, process of thinking about her life and being be reflective about it and uh, conduct religious rituals. Uh, but it's it's not only personal. Uh, I think uh, again for the uninitiated listener, there's uh, a point to be stressed here. Uh, from the religious point of view, or the orthodox interpretation of Jewish halakha point of view, this is indeed a private matter uh, that obviously bears on national considerations, but is first and foremost a private matter. The state has made it a national mission because the state's logic makes it political and, in, and, and, and collective. I think the conflation of these two aspects is what creates the field where these uh, uh, amazing uh, acts that you uh, uh, so uh, clear, uh, clearly analyze come to play. And this, I guess, has to do with the third theme, with, which is what you uh, term as the dramaturgy of conversion. Uh, what do you mean by this term? So here I apply the well-known uh, sociological uh, rhetoric or vocabulary of Erwin Goffman, a well-known American sociologist who has been suggested a while ago that uh, everyday life is enacted uh, as a kind of rehearsals or performance between individuals, players, actors, and audiences. Uh, he tried to transcend to transcend the binary between false presentation and real presentation, and he was trying to to show us how in everyday life we are all actors. And we are all plain, which does not mean that we are lying or that we are insincere, but that we are all the time well aware that we are in front of our audiences. So I'm applying this vocabulary, this dramaturgical vocabulary for two reasons. One is for emic reasons, which means that inductively, when I entered the field, the vocabulary that I listened to was so dramaturgical. I heard people speaking about acts and actors and performances. Don't make this an act. Don't make it a performance. When a rabbinical judges will, will be concerned and suspicious if a performance is not sincere or real, they would say, is this only a performance? So I, as an ethnographer that was trying to, be, to attend well to the vocabulary of you know, the people I was studying, so I couldn't ignore this kind of dramaturgical imagination, and I couldn't ignore that what they meant was kind of binary terms that Goffman has been trying to uh, transcend because they didn't they did mean it to be a false uh, performance. Performance was was meant to to say a false uh, performance, an empty one. At the same time, I could realized. I've been doing my fieldwork for three years. So during this time, I could not ignore the fact that what I saw was dramaturgical processes that were counter to the kind of vocabulary employed in my field. While they have been speaking about performance as a lie or as an act of impostures, insincere impostures, they have been all conducting performances, intersecting performances, and well-coordinating 
performances. They have not been harmonized, but they have been, they had many uh, contradictions, but they have been coordinated. And what I could not ignore is that conversion agents, because they have had the biopolitical logics in their mind and they have been working in the name of this kind of logic, they, they taught their converts how to behave and how to perform, how to perform sincerity, how to perform a sufficiently good enough convert, a convert that his or her performance can be endorsed and can be accumulated later in the state's uh, demography, right? They have been aggregated. And uh, so there have been uh, two conflating meanings of dramaturgy in my field, and they have been working simultaneously. So I needed to attend to both of them and to their implications. Was, by the way, was this education of uh, how to perform also extended to how to perform correctly as, uh, as a Jew post-conversion? Again, I'm talking about the performance, not as uh, uh, the observance. Not really, no, not really. They did have uh, aspirations, uh, pedagogic aspirations, that, they, that, that these converts will go out of the ritual mikveh, uh, ritual bath, and will join a religious community or retain some orthodox maintenance life. At the same time, they knew that those converts would probably won't adhere to orthodox life afterwards. So what they cared mostly about is that at the moment when their con- when someone's conversion has been endorsed, at this very moment, he's performing a good enough convert, a sustainable convert, one that um, whose performance can render the bureaucrats as good enough bureaucrats. Because if a rabbi would endorse an empty shell, an empty performance, it means that he lets the national mission overrule or um, make priority over uh, religious commitments. So in order to kosherize, to make the national mission kosher, and in order to kosherize the label, the, the, the actual work of each rabbi or each bureaucrat, the converts needed to play the good enough uh, convert. So now we have to stress uh, uh, what is implicit in this whole discussion, almost taken as a given in the Israeli context, that the performance that these converts are uh, expected uh, to carry is uh, dictated by an orthodox interpretation of Jewish law. And this is because uh, the Israeli state endowed the orthodox rabbinical with the monopoly over the system. Very much so, right. Uh, so, in a sense, they are compelled to perform um, uh, an imitation of a lifestyle that only a minority of Israeli Jews adhere to or observe in daily life. Only, only roughly 20% of Israeli Jews identify as religious or orthodox. Well, the number changes, but uh, the funny fact or the fun fact around this whole process is that a majority of Jews who do not observe um, uh, orthodox Jewish law uh, requiring those non-Jews to perform as if they are going to now uh, observe it in order for them to be part of the collective. Right. And this kind of irony implicated uh, in the relationship that I had developed with some of the converts. They were envy at me or even angry at me that I can be there as a secular Jew and I don't have to prove anything to anyone and I can still claim my Jewishness. 
with no apologetic and no, no need to any bureaucratic stamp to prove me. And yet they, who felt not less Jewish than I do, needed to prove to authorities that they deserve to be included within the national fold. Right. Yes. And, and, I, and actually many of the... So, no, so, go ahead. I wanted to mention that many of the ironies and the complications within the performance of the national mission have been also been clear to the converts. They actually knew that their teachers, their rabbis, their bureaucrats care much more for Israel's demography, for Israel's solidarity, for Israel's national mission than they cared for their own personal religious conduct. They knew that these people walk in the name of the national mission. And because of that, they are willing to compromise the convert's sincerity or the convert's full performance. So they knew that the, the conversion agents cannot speak fully or explicitly about what they really care about, which is, you know, the states of Israel keeping it Jewish faith, keeping it Jewish dynamic, keeping it Jewish uh, orthodox style. Uh, and, and, the, and all those conversion agents needed to, to perform uh, in front of the converts, which have been their audiences, that they have been really working for pedagogic reasons, uh, that they have been working un, under a religious sincerity themselves. So it's uh, mixed or m- mutual performance. I see, and this this touches upon directly. Uh, uh, this touches directly upon. I'm sorry, your uh, the title of your book yeah? uh, and the notion of winking. You offer a very Goffmanesque analysis of this notion of this act of this wink. Uh, can you explain again to our listeners what you mean by winking and why does it play such an important role in the field of religious conversion in Israel? Uh, I'm, when I'm speaking about winking, I'm drawing on both Goffmanian perspective, but also on um, Geertzian, uh, Clifford Geert, who is a paramount uh, anthropologist, cultural anthropologist. Uh, and I'm also drawing on um, the nativist or the indigenous, uh, indigenous language of the people I've been working with. I will explain. Um, I've heard many people in the field speaking about wink-wink relations. I've read and heard many people uh, present conversion as only a wink-wink thing. Those converts are only lying to us, the conversion agents, uh, and the conversion agents are being blamed to to winkfully invite empty performances from the converts. So, when you read newspaper and when you read how the conversion national mission is uh, represented, you would all, always encounter the idea of winking. And in a way that suspect both the converts, the converts and the conversion agents as liars. But I think that the winking actually allows us to think in ways that transcend the binary terms of lying or real performance. They do wink, which means that both converts and conversion agents wink at each other. They make very nuanced gestures at each other to make this kind of shared, collaborated performance walk out. This is so nuanced 
and so thin as wink is. So I think they do wink, but in a way that doesn't necessarily imply that these converts are lying. Some of them do. Some of them do lie. Some of them would say to me, I've been lying. But most of them feel that even if they did not tell the old truth, they did not lie. Uh, they perform something new. Uh, so, And just one extra layer about this winking, I've been also playing in my book with the idea of wink-wink and win-win. Because this is a collaborative uh, initiative project, there is an aspect of win-win, of like mutually beneficial conversion. And to add just one uh, last layer, so much in the uh, anthropology of the state has been governed by thinking about seeing, about gazes, that the state gazes upon citizens. And its power is exercised by seeing its citizens. And I want to shift the conversation to winking. It's not only about seeing and about exercising power. It's also about collaborations and having a real nuanced relations between state institutions and agents to uh, citizens. Yes, and I think as Geertz notes about winking, what is so fascinating about uh, the act is that where it's not based upon an already agreed uh, set of interpretations, agreed interpretations, it would make no sense. Uh, and I think what's uh, 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 the, the lovely, uh, the lively and, and, and highly interesting political aspect of uh, the conversion process is exactly what is hidden or what is assumed to be understood, but never explicitly mentioned by the wink. I mean, it comes also in what you say. I think there's uh, there's one big issue, I mean, one big war that doesn't come up in the discussion, which is actually the, in a sense, the infrastructure of it is in the, the Jew versus the Arab. Uh, the whole notion of uh, keeping a minority of Arabs versus a majority of Jews is, uh, is, is lying at the basis, but never it is never mentioned because it's only winked at, which is so, uh, so nuanced, as you note. Uh, and in this regard, I think um, your work makes it very clear that religious Zionism holds a unique role in the field of uh, conversions. Can you explain why this is so? What is the role they are holding and why are they such a central actor in this field? Uh, religious Zionists, those that I met and those that I read writing about conversion, feel mobilized to take the heavy load of the national mission. They feel compelled uh, ideologically to work in the name of the state. They feel that if not... If they hadn't have taken their responsibility, no one else would have done it and no one else would do it. The ultra-Orthodox, they claim, and I agree, wouldn't do it because they are confined to only religious or halachic Jewish law terms. They think and act only within the prism of Jewish law. And the religious Zionist actors or the religious Zionist sector in general claim to hold and live together with two political uh, inclinations. One is the commitment to uh, Zionism and the other is the commitment and, and the state and the other is the commitment to Jewish life and Jewish law. So only they who care enough about the, the Jewish population, this is the biopolitical, right? About the Jewish population and about the Jewish state and its sacred role within the Zionist scheme can work so hard, they would claim, they would, they would work so hard to actualize 
the state's uh, national mission. Ultra-Orthodox just won't care, and the secular Zionists would care, but they won't do it through religious law. Um, so they really have to bear the sort of like heavy mission, and it is heavy. And in my ethnographic work, I try to document those moments where this heaviness is experienced and filled. So what would do a religious Zionist teacher who feels uh, obligated to the national mission and sees himself as a soldier of the national mission when he encounters lies or insincerity, or when he understands that his students really want to be Jewish, but they really don't want to be religious. So he has to juggle between these two contradictory uh, schemes and commitments. So as you noted at the beginning of our conversation, this is primarily a Zionist story, because were it not for the Zionist framework, this whole dilemma would not even existed. Um, this whole understanding of uh, the Jew preceding Judaism to make orthodoxy or the orthodox point of view of Judaism a marginal view is only tenable in the context of Zionism. Yet, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, the Zionist ideology and Israel as, uh, uh, as an embodiment of it, uh, they do not offer a way into the Jewish collective that would be an alternative to religious conversion, or do they? Well, religious conversion is a very broad term. Reformed Jews would tell you that what they do is also a religious conversion, right? And conservative denomination as well. There have been once uh, a marginal a suggestion by Yossi Begin for a secular um, conversion. And there are several uh, suggestions to actualize a more liberal orthodox conversion. So outside of the purview of the state and underneath it, and sort of like subversive to it, they, there have been some uh, religious uh, Zionist uh, figures, prominent figures, who try to ease the conversion uh, demands. So they are not acknowledged as state uh, institutions or a state conversion, but they have been trying to apply. And there is also a one alternative route suggested by a Tsar rabbi who tried to speak about conversion to Israeliness, like taken the um, assimilation of non-Jewish uh, former immigrants within Israeli uh, society, the claim is that in any way we are all sort of Israelis and the Jewish aspect is not necessarily so prominent in terms of religion. So, but those, those alternatives have been marginalized, they have not been endorsed. And although the national mission is a real disaster in terms of numbers, in terms of achievement of the goals, the demographic goals, it's a real fiasco, it's a real crisis, uh, failure. Uh, and yet, the alternative routes have not been accepted. Yes, and it's uh, interesting to know that even these alternative routes are also considered in terms of conversion, um, still, uh, I guess, bound by the notion of counting Jews versus non-Jews as the as the foundation of the political uh, setting for Israel. Right, um, right. In this way, um, in opposite, maybe not in, in opposite, but in difference to, for example, American Jewry. In American Jewry, where most Jews are not affiliated, and those who are affiliated are uh, affiliated with reform or conservative Jews, 
there are more and more voices uh, saying that conversion as a formal process is not necessary. What matters for the you know life of the real communities in everyday life is that non-Jewish spouses will join the Jewish spouse, that they will decide as a family to send the children to Jewish education, that they will decide to be a contributing member of the community. So the counting have has a different implication and sensibilities. So because what counts is that the community will have enough members, right? So it works differently. So and it goes back to the idea that the national mission comes to address a national uh, uh, predicament in a sense, and it's only a predicament if you view it as a predicament. This is what the American Jewish Alternative uh, shows us that there's a, there are other ways of considering uh, the presence of a large minority of non-Jews, which wouldn't necessarily be viewed as a, as a threat to the very political infrastructure of, uh, of the state. Uh, within American Jewry, uh, American Jewish context, uh, people do look at the intermarriage issue as a predicament. There is no doubt about it. And they try to govern it in their own, by the way, biopolitical way. But within uh, Israel, you mentioned rightly so that unless it is constructed as a predicament, as a problem, there is nothing to target, right? There is nothing to address. And they do construct it as a problem by discursively speaking about emergency, about numbers. They have their own uh, discursive ways to construct it as a problem, something that really deserves the money and attention. of the Well, Michal, we really have taken uh, too much of your time. Can you tell me, can tell us maybe in closing what project or projects you are currently working on? Uh, so I've been working on two projects. One is actually about American Jewry. <laughs> uh, this is why I, I've been kept taking you there. Uh, and it's about counting American Jews, uh, how American Jews counting their members and how they try to reproduce their, uh, like, Americans as Jews. And the other project is about um, anti-sexual abuse activism that has been emerging in the ultra-Orthodox community, both in Israel and the States. Uh, it takes it has taken many forms of grassroots organizations and legal advocacy and, and sort of psychotherapies and psychotherapeutic discourse and have been following those activists and therapists and community leaders trying to bring the issue on the table. Wow, both projects sound so much interesting. Uh, thank you, Professor El Tovi, for being on the show and uh, wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for, for having me.